Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Good. Well, good morning or good evening. I'm not sure what time of day it is, Mo, uh, where you are, having just evening. completed yeah. another great downhill uh, mountain bike trip. But uh, I just got back from the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery exam, so I definitely need a cup of joe. Uh, so I've, I've got mine. Oh, you, you've just got a generic cup. Well, I'm not going to tell you what's in it, but it's there's, there is definitely liquid refreshment post okay. riding this. Yes. Excellent. So to our, to our guests, you will be getting one of these absolutely wonderful ortho joe uh, cups in the mail uh, for participation but we're going to deviate a little bit from normally we start by introducing our guests but we're going to start with a topic so this uh, topic uh, goes back to about four months when uh, Dr. Bandari and I were about a year into doing these ortho joe things and I noticed hey I always have my JBJS tie on and Mo has like a golf shirt uh, and it, what is that about? Is it just is it just the fact that I'm 16, 17, 18 years older than my colleague? Uh, and so we began discussing things about dress in professionals and about how maybe this is important to patients. So as I promised uh, Mo, I, of course, I pulled the literature um, and I, I, I have here a stack of about five or six uh, manuscripts from uh, different primary care journals, uh, OBGYN journals, that in fact, uh, to two thirds of patients, what the physician wears in an outpatient setting does matter uh, to the individual. And of course it's skewed, the older individuals it's more important to. So we uh, discussed this. We decided we don't have enough brains to sort out whether it's important or not. So we wanted to get two experts. So we each recruited uh, an expert uh, who is very experienced uh, from a different, perhaps, level of maturity, uh, like uh, Mo and I, different, <laughs> I won't use uh, pejorative terms uh, of old geezer or anything like that. But <laughs> my guest uh, is my dear colleague, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Arndt who I have known since I came to Minnesota in 1997. Uh, Dr. Arndt uh, is a very experienced uh, knee surgeon. She's a sports physician, just was uh, put into the Sports Medicine Hall of Fame for her contributions to team coverage, as well as patellofemoral joints. She's one of, I don't know, three, four, five uh, international experts in the patellofemoral joint. And Dr. Arndt is experienced in all things knee, and one thing she is extremely good at is connecting with her patients. So she has patients that have followed her for 30 years uh, in the family connections, et cetera. Uh, so and, uh, as an important clinician who's in a leadership role in our department, uh, runs our, our orthopedic service line, she will have opinions on this, I can promise you. And Mo, why don't you introduce your guest from perhaps a different generation? <laughs> 
Sure, sure, Mark. And, and I'll, I'll just also go back and go back to our discussion. Part of the reason I, I switched is I just did not like wearing ties. It was just a personal personal choice. So maybe the evidence will, will tell me that I'm right, but we'll find out. Um, and I've also sworn that I probably will never wear a tie again. And that's a yeah. pretty serious thing. Now, yeah. we'll find out. We'll find out if I, if I should be uh, converting back. I have uh, Herman Johal, who is a, a junior partner with us, but also a fellow with me some years ago. He's an associate professor at McMaster University and uh, practices trauma. He's the uh, associate program director as well. So he has a pretty good pulse on uh, resident attire, and we can certainly get into that, I suspect, in terms of, um, you know, what's what's um, hot and what's not, so to speak, Herman. Uh, but more importantly, I think Herman himself uh, brings a slightly different perspective to the attire um, and has perspectives around that as well. So I'm hoping for uh, an interesting discussion today. Good. Let me fire the first question, Herman, to you as a, a person in charge of what do you tell your residents these days? Well, I, I have the honor of, of being uh, the associate program director, but that means there's a program director. So I get to be kind of the good cop behind the bad cop sometimes. I, I let uh, my uh, associate or my, my, my program director kind of lay out the rules of the land uh, in terms of what is, is black and white in terms of attire uh, and professional um, presentation. And when I get a chance to speak to the residents, I, I say I have a chance to speak to them and say, just present yourself the way you would want to have a physician taking care of your family member or yourselves present themselves. And, and I, I, it, I feel that they need to carry themselves in a way that's gonna establish trust and a patient connection. Um, and I think um, really that's evolving and I think that's gonna be an interesting part of the discussion today. Herbert, if I can just jump in before Mark jumps in here is, uh, can you just like, so in your typical busy fracture clinic days, what are you sporting these days? Well, fracture, fracture clinic is a, is a busy and hectic environment, and, and you have to be prepared for, for pretty much anything from casts, uh, uh, maybe a procedure, and uh, potentially uh, just a very uh, regular discussion you have in any clinic where you're discussing a complex elective procedure with a, a patient who uh, is maybe a professional or, or maybe um, a laborer. So you have to be prepared for kind of anything that might walk through the door, and, and for me, that's scrubs. Um, if uh, I, I do have a white coat that hangs in my, my fracture clinic that I, I it's collecting quite a bit of dust. <laughs> it's, it's there if I need it, but I haven't uh, felt the need to call for it, but typically it's just in scrubs. Okay. Okay. Dr. Arndt, what are you telling the trainees that spend so much time with you in the clinic learning how to manage patients? Let's start with the residents first. Well, as Marcus implied, I'm a tertiary care surgeon and I don't really get my hands dirty very much with the kinds of things that you're doing in trauma. We don't do any more plaster, at least not in my profession. Um, I still do injections. I still take out, you know, a stitch or two, but most of that's being done by my team. But I will say that right from the beginning, I, I felt coming into the field as a woman and one of the few women entering orthopedics at that time, that it was extremely important to be professional. And to me, that meant dress accordingly, but also for me, at that time, I entered the field in the early 80s. It meant looking like a woman. Now, you could certainly challenge that today. Like, what the heck does that mean? But I will felt I felt at that time I wanted to look feminine. I wanted to look professional. I wanted people to know that I was a female orthopedic surgeon. I wanted men to know that. I wanted girls to know that. I wanted boys to know that. I wanted husbands and wives to know that. So for many, many years, although I'm not a big person to wear 
I don't wear heels, but to wear like a dress shoe. I'm not a big person to wear a lot of dresses, but I, every single clinic day, I wore a dress, a professional shoe. And it took me a long time to find professional shoes that didn't skid along the uh, the tile floors. But soon soon enough, there, there came to be lots of different uh, varieties. I will say that I live in Minnesota. It gets cold. I would probably say it was about my 10th year, literally a really, really long time that I decided I would start to wear pants during the wintertime. And then that became more comfortable. And I, 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 I rarely wear a dress anymore. But I do always try to be professional in clinic. And to me, that means dress pants, decent shoes, even in the wintertime, um, and you know, some kind of a, a coat. I'll well, leave it at that. Uh, well, let me just uh, probe a little bit further. Uh, how, how about, you know, I mean, you've covered training rooms for decades and you covered games for decades. Is that a different environment? Do you, do you dress differently there? Well, yes, I don't purposely try to updress or downdress for training rooms, but if I'm if if I'm going to the training room in the course of a day that I'm doing other things that I'm running in, I'm, you know, casual, I try to wear sports gear. So mm-hmm. you may say that that, you know, that kind of you get a little bit of a break if you come in with a polo shirt that has, you know, University of Minnesota, you know, athletics on it or has, you know, women's basketball or something like that on it. So I do try, I mean, I remember like if I'm going to want to dress casual that I'm dressing in in a gopher gear. Uh, but I will say that, I, again, you know, I'm really, really aging myself, but I, I do ride bikes, not quite to the extent that it looks like Mo does. But I remember, um, I won't say who the coach was at the time, but Mark will know. I was a fellow here and I was doing football and I had to do football training room. So I wore the most appropriate, really long culottes, if you even know what those are, you know, sinus kind of skorts with a very appropriate shirt with a jacket that I had in the back that I could put over and uh, did did training room rounds. It was on a Saturday afternoon. It was during the summer and uh, and I nothing, everything was fine. And that Monday I heard from my my mentor, the person I did the fellowship under, and he said, what did you wear to the training room on Saturday? <laughs> And so I told him and he said, don't do that again. And he said, he said, the, the coach made a comment and you know that the coach doesn't want women in the training room to begin with. He said, from now on, don't show your legs in any other, you know, in any kind of a, a casual sense and don't wear anything casual. So, you know, I got slapped in the face. I also wore shorts once that was a pretty appropriate shorts when I did rounds as a G5. This was not in the in Minnesota. This was in upstate New York, Rochester. I did it on a Saturday morning, seven o'clock in the morning. Again, this particular hospital didn't didn't even have air conditioning, if you can believe it, at that time. And I was going to end up going like uh, away for the day. And I got called on it by a couple of nurses saying that I was inappropriately dressed. So, I mean, early in my career, not that that shook me too much, but, you know, it was very clear to me that people were watching. Uh, but that's not really why I chose to dress professional. Uh, I, but I, I am very, for the first several years of my life, I was very aware of what I was wearing around when I was being a, a physician, a female physician. Oh, I, I just was going to inform the audience that uh, Dr. Ryan really has been a trailblazer. So she she was the first uh, female attending in, in the department. And our department just graduated its 50th uh, female orthopedic Ooh. surgeon, which awesome. uh, congratulations to uh, Dr. Arndt and, and all those that contributed to that. Go ahead, Mo. Uh, yeah, I was, I was just going to ask you, Liza, and then I'll ask the same question of Herman. I mean, 
do patients ever comment on uh, on a tire? Uh, Mark, you know, brought uh, up early, and I think Mark, you and I are thinking of the same paper. It was a paper in the British Medical Journal Open uh, version of that journal back in 2018, where they basically you know show photographs of various uh, multiple different forms of what physicians could be wearing in a clinic environment and uh, it was about 4000 patients were questioned and it was like coming in fully casual casual with a white coat scrubs only scrubs with a white coat formal leaving the full tie everything with a white coat or just formal only so they looked at this whole array um, and interestingly enough as Mark had said, patients particularly, at least more than half of them uh, in this particular survey, uh, felt very strongly around uh, formal attire with a white coat or for surgeons, scrubs with a white coat. It was the white coat uh, was a pretty important factor of being in a hospital environment. I wonder if that's ever been raised or if either of you had any experience with that. I sort of alluded to a little bit of my white coat um, uh, uh, where it kind of sits and, and how it's collecting dust these days. Um, but it's an interesting thing to think about. A lot of um, uh, hospital organizations and a lot, a lot of messaging has gone out around actually uh, infection prevention and, and issues with potentially transmission using, you know, with, with white coats or ties or, or some other uh, items of clothing. I think as, as we kind of have looked at that in a broader sense and uh, through systematic reviews and other papers, it's kind of shown that it's not as, as, as bad as we think it is um, with both white coats and, and ties and some other pieces of attire um, that we traditionally might associate with infection transmission. So um, I think, you know, that's one possible consideration, but it's interesting to, to, to hear the perception that even, you know, whether you're wearing scrubs or, or formal attire, as long as you have that traditional uh, appearance of being a physician that someone has established as, as a trustworthy image, the white coat kind of helps uh, portray that. Um, I, I personally, I just sort of just wear scrubs and have the white coat available as needed. Um, it's interesting to, to hear the discussion around what the expectations around your, your patients and your colleagues are. Um, for, for some individuals, wearing scrubs means you, you, you might seem um, uh, you know, potentially less professional if, if uh, that's not what the patient's expecting, if there's no white coat, if there's no tie. But also, I think for me, it's interesting to think about when I wear scrubs, I tend to show some, some body uh, some potentially uh, some imagery, uh, body imagery or tattoos or some other uh, some some other things that patients might not identify as traditional uh, traditionally being a physician. But my personal experience with that is my patients actually have never commented in a negative way. I haven't gotten a perception from them that they are taken aback um, if they see something that might not be a, a traditional physician presentation for them. Um, and it's interesting to think about my patient population. A lot of them <laughs> have similar. Tattoos or images uh, that they might have that I think actually helps me establish a connection with them these days. So I, I, I personally think that that the concept of what the expectation is of patients with their physicians is evolving rapidly, uh, and I think that uh, it's an interesting time to ask this question. For well, I think I, I do tend to dress casually, especially on on weekend rounds, and I do try to tend my ride my bike in on weekend rounds, yeah. but I always wear a white coat. And I just think it just hides a lot of, um, you know, casualness. Uh, but I also put my hair back in a baseball cap because that also is helpful to not have to worry about how your hair looks. It's interesting, though. I think that, um, you know, the, the what you've referred to, there's been a, quite a few um, specific ones looking at men and women in orthopedics. And you are right that white coat trumps everything else. But what was interesting, there was one, I think it was in the Journal of American Academy. It was like a global research article. It was in 2020. They, they actually said that, that a white coat over anything trumps a woman in 
business clothes. And if the women are too, well, the what they showed is a woman in flats with a skirt and a jacket versus uh, long pants. They felt that this particular article, it wasn't quite, I think it was 287, so it wasn't quite as big a number, that if you were, got, if you were uh, wearing a professional female garb, that they did not think that person was as experienced as they should be in handling the hard part of orthopedics. So I think that when you're talking about doctors versus orthopedists, there is a perception, as you well know, that, that people have to be strong. And that's why where women sometimes maybe um, are perceived as not being capable of doing uh, orthopedics. So because of that, many of my junior partners that are female have gone to wearing fashion scrubs. And by, what I mean by that is more a little bit more body form fitting for a woman. They have it engraved with their name and their location. And then they wear that with the white coat. I haven't, we haven't done too much of that in our university setting at the university in ortho. I know that sports medicine has kind of gone to that and I'm going to totally show my bias here, but I really have a hard time identifying who's the physician and, you know, maybe it doesn't matter as much because if you walk in and you speak with authority, maybe it doesn't matter as much, but I do think that uh, the white coat helps to identify people who are wearing otherwise more de-identified clothing. So if you're wearing scrubs, I, I think sometimes people have a hard time deciding who's the physician. Have you ever found that true when you're wearing scrubs? It's hard though to compare yourself to a trauma surgeon though, because you are kind of a different breed in more ways than one. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting to hear, you know, that the, the white coat is what, you know, helps you identify as a physician. I think that's also changing these days. And I look around at the hospital uh, where I work now, we have nurse practitioners, we have physician assists, we have all kinds of other mid-level practitioners who are, you know, potentially donning a white coat to help establish that trust and confidence potentially in their role. But that's also, I think, makes it potentially difficult to identify, quote unquote, who the doctor is. Um, but I, you know, potentially, like, like you mentioned, Elizabeth, it's, you walk in, you speak with the authority, you speak with, uh, you speak from a place of experience and you speak um, as, as someone would look to a physician to, to present themselves as outside of your initial appearance. And then that very quickly, I think, establishes who people look to for maybe a physician level decision. It's interesting to hear you talk about the fashion scrubs as well, and then sort of evolving fashion trends. I think uh, the white coat, at least in our institution, is being replaced by the by the zip up. And I'm not sure if the same thing has happened in your institution. I'm seeing a lot of residents and, and new doctors kind of come with, a, you know, maybe a university, uh, you know, McMaster University or University of Minnesota sort of zip up orthopedics that also you know, helps identify them as the orthopedic resident or for the surgeon in the, zip, in the room. So it's, uh, you know, fashion trends are changing, too. And I think what what a physician is expected to look like when they show up, I think the white coat has traditionally been there, but it's it's no longer, I think, holding that same same place going forward. I think many of our institutions have, have gone to on the name tag, putting in very bold letters, you know, yeah, MD or resident physician or whatever. But let, let me ask you to, is it purely generational on the part of our patients? Is it only the older patients that this is a big deal to? Well, when you first asked the question about generational issues, I, I thought, Anyway, uh, okay. I do think older people um, have a hard time dealing with really young people that are decades younger than them. So they want some assuredness of their worth. And I do think that you're right, Herman, that the way you present your speech and your how you deal with them from a humane point of view is really what will seal the deal. 
But I do think that that early entrance helps to gain confidence with older people. And it's not because, I think it's just because they trust people who dress a certain way. And you're right. I mean, um, you know, we used to talk. I mean, I came from a very traditional residency. They didn't want any this is for men. They didn't want any earrings in your in your ears. They didn't want any long hair. Tattoos weren't exactly a thing then, but they probably wouldn't have liked them. So they were very much more constrict. We were constricted in how we dressed. Um, but I would say for most people, it didn't matter because most most people dressed differently, and they would humorlessly say they with humor they would say they could tell us from the pediatricians, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so. What do you think, Herman? I think um, you know it's it, it's interesting to think about who might be um, expecting uh, a certain presentation, both in appearance and then subsequently in, in the actual patient interaction. And, and I, I do think there's definitely generational um, a generational expectation, but I think that's kind of dissolving as well as, as you know. There's different discussions around what I think is, is acceptable and where some some biases even come from. Uh, and, and I think that's that's creeping into sort of every level of generation um, that that you might be interacting with. I, I I do notice sometimes when I walk into a room uh, with a patient, they might be taken aback. Some you know for, for any number of reasons, whether it's myself or another member of the team, who you just you do get this impression that okay, right away maybe they 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 have some doubt that I'm I'm the one that's here to help them, and and I try to pick up on that through the connection I'm subsequently going to try to establish uh, and try whether it's try to ensure that they know that I understand where they're coming from or understand their problem or, or can handle their problem in a professional way that they expect to. So, you know, I do sometimes find myself upping my actual clinical interaction sometimes to make up for the fact that maybe they don't have that same confidence in whatever aspect, you know, whether I'm coming in in scrubs that are looking a little disheveled or covered in cast material um, or this patient just for some reason doesn't think that I'm the one who's going to be able to help them just based on that first impression. So Mo, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on you a little bit about this. I'm never gonna wear a tie tie again statement. Um, I mean the tie is uncomfortable to you. You don't like it, but as the head of surgery, departmental meetings are uncomfortable for you and you don't like it. But yeah, you show up. Yeah. So what's your what you're saying is that you just don't you just don't think that the tie is an important part of establishing your presence, your ambiance, your authority, your position. So what's that about? But but I go one step yeah, further, sure. Mark. I was really thinking about this because when I said is the clinic the setting we're talking about, yeah. it mm -hmm. made me think about a meeting. So of course I just came back from my from my big meeting and yes I was given an award so yes I tried to dress very appropriately but I don't think that when people come to the podium and they're they're dressed very casually I don't I okay I'm old fashioned I think that you should be dressing appropriately so I might ask Herman and Mo if you are presenting at a national meeting what garb <laughs> do you think you should be in which Mo does it like you know every week. So uh, so I hope you heard my attack. Yeah, and you see how I quickly just froze the screen so I didn't have to answer the question. Uh, but let me say before I freeze again, um, I, I think if you wear a collared shirt and a, and a jacket, uh, you know, and you can present yourself reasonably, I think you can present yourself reasonably well. I think most people in an audience will immediately um, forgive any potential like, oh, tie, no tie, super formal, not super formal. 
by what you say. And ultimately, I think, um, me personally, I found it much easier to connect um, just with others being a little more casual uh, than super formal. If I have to be super formal, I'll wear collarless. So I'm, you know, I, I, I will wear formal suits, but I'll wear them the collarless ones more like um, like an Indian style, which is like a narrow style jacket. So I'm wearing those more I am, um, but I'm just trying to avoid the ties. I don't think it actually genuinely has a huge impact and it hasn't. Now, that being said, when you're uh, speaking as a guest, people don't usually, uh, you know, tell you that, oh, you should wear a tie. You just, they just accept you as you are. Um, but I generally believe that being able to connect with individuals um, often comes from the perception of what you say and how you, you know, how you connect with them on a different level. I think clothing is important to an, to an extent, um, but I do not believe the tie would be the defining factor of my ability to impact the people around me. So that's kind of the reason. Yeah. Well, Mo, I'm going to go after you a little bit. Uh, sure, sure. You're on the, I mean, because the audience knows you have the Order of Canada and you have 1,800 <laughs> peer-reviewed publications as well. So you can wear what you want and they're still going to listen to you. And but, by the way, the majority of those happened when I was not wearing a tie, right? So, I wrote, <laughs> so just so you know that, right? The majority happened when I was not wearing a tie. I wrote so most you, of my papers not wearing a tie. So, so in the in the ceremony where you were granted the Order of Canada, you didn't wear a tie? No, I had to. I had to wear I, I oh. You're right. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I had to wear a bow tie. Bow tie. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to help take some of the heat off, I just want to point out that I'm a casually dressed person here. So uh, I, I, that was pre planned. <laughs> I, 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 sorry, the most casually dressed person here and least formal. Um, to kind of pick up on, on, on a couple of concepts, though, I, you know, I, I enjoy riding my bike as well. I'm actually just finished a bike ride, which is why I'm looking a little, a little casual as my myself. But uh, oftentimes I'll come to work uh, or plan an activity after work that's not going to be a formal event. Uh, it doesn't tend to happen around meetings or conferences. But um, if, if I'm if I'm going to go somewhere that's not um, going to be the same attire I'm wearing in the hospital, I find that's another reason why I tend to tend to gravitate towards scrubs as my day to day dress. When it comes to meetings, I agree. I think you know you need to present yourself as uh, the expert someone is, is expecting at the podium, but also I think it's important to establish that connection. So watching watching my mentor and chair kind of go through the uh, his style uh, the, and, and the way he presents himself, it's been a good uh, good example to see and understand that uh, I think your content represents more of what you actually bring. So can I ask a question both to Liza and Herman and, and Mark, please jump in too. But yeah. um, in this situation, what so what's a no-no? So let's say, you know, from the perspective of either a peer uh, or a trainee coming into your clinic, um, what would make you approach them and say, this is unacceptable? Uh, well, I've sent residents home that I felt were too casual. What's too casual? Well, I've never seen somebody come in in jeans, so that's good, but jeans would be too casual. And I would say blue jeans because they have some pretty darn nice dress black jeans. And then, you know, I, I don't think I think sandals are OK uh, for women, at least, and probably men, too. I think they're but they have to be reasonably nice sandals. I think a no, no. OK, I'm going to be more female now. I think a no, no is um, a female showing off too much of her breasts. I think that that's distracting um, and that should not be done. And I, I do think T-shirts uh, definitely are out. I saw a couple of people uh, on the podium with T-shirts and I sort of cringed. I thought that's just not, I, I got I got distracted. Uh, I'm sorry, Herman, I got distracted from what they were saying because I thought like, why are they wearing a T-shirt? 
Um, and so, and, and probably it's, it's hard to say, but it's funny because we just came back from a very hot meeting in Colorado, lots of people in shorts, lots of people, you know, casual, but when they went up there, I would say the most casual people were at least in dress slacks and some kind of either blouse or, or a dress shirt. So, but for me, for women, I would say it's showing off too much of your breasts. Uh, maybe I, I think short skirts, I don't even I don't think I've seen too many of those anymore. And I think the other thing would I would say is t-shirts. I think those are some pretty reasonable guidelines. And I think the, the key word you mentioned is distraction. And I, I think if, if you find someone comes to your clinic and in a way that might be distracting to, to the other colleagues uh, or, or the patients, and it, it, for me, it's just, no, I can't send, I don't tend not to send them home. I just tell them to go upstairs and change in the scrubs and then they'll at least fit in with me. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, when it comes to, I, I think, um, your your overall uh, guidelines and, and approach, I think uh, we have to, uh, you know, and, and what your expectations are at the podium, I think we have to have at least a couple of years of, of acceptance as people are coming out from behind the Zoom screen and now coming back up to the podium, there's going to be a bit of an evolution there too. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Mo, do you I have any? Oh, I ahead. would also say I've seen t-shirts that express a sentiment which is, which is great. We know, we, we know there's a ton of them. And, you know, I think that that, again, I like Herman, the way Herman said it, I think they're distracting because all of a sudden you're reading the t-shirt, even if it's funny or whatever, it doesn't even matter if it's personal or not personal or political or not political. I think all of a sudden you're reading somebody's t-shirt instead of, you know, trying to get, get down to the business of being a physician patient relationship. So. Well, Mo, do you have any last questions for our two experts? Uh, you know what? I have so many questions, but they, but, you know, but some of them just can't be answered, and I'll have to keep them to myself. But overall, I, I just want to, if I could, just thank both Herman and Liza. I, I mean, the truth is, there probably is a gradient, and we're seeing, you know, with every quote generation of trainees coming through, we're seeing a different. I think COVID is also, quite frankly, I'm, we use that term a lot, has changed the way we think and how and and what's allowed. I think. I mean, really, dress has completely been, you know, not really revolutionized, but certainly changed. And I think we're starting to see, just as we see all kinds of, you know, perceptions around, uh, you know, all, all kinds of ideas, we're going to have to figure out as, you know, in our own field, you know, what makes sense as we go forward. Yeah. yeah well, so talking, I... about, talking about being uncomfortable during COVID, I was asked to wear scrubs to the clinic. So just like you might be uncomfortable at a time, I was very uncomfortable. But as soon as I put on my scrubs and my white coat, I felt a little better. <laughs> That's great. Well, let us just say that uh, the standards are evolving as a profession evolves. Uh, and we as practitioners should be thoughtful about the way we present ourselves to our patients first and to our audiences uh, second. Um, because it does matter to somewhere between 50 to 60% of the patients. So it, it's not an inconsequential thing and we should be thoughtful. And I trust all three of you and me. I know I agree with me. So uh, <laughs> I trust you three agree with those. And uh, with that, I'm just going to say that this is the first time I've ever done an ortho Joe without the JBJS tie on. And I did that on purpose, wondering if Mo would... would uh, notice, but um, as, a, uh, as a, an expression of my uh, appreciation for uh, Mo's uh, partnership in Orthology, I'm going to send you a JVJS tie for you to hang on the back and, of your door. And I will say, Mark, today I have aired and I rescind my <laughs> objection to ties and I will wear a tie again. How's that? 
once. Sometimes. <laughs> At least once. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a good day.